Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Black and Cold, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Michelle, and I am back with another episode for you guys this week. The case I will be discussing today is probably one that many of you are already familiar with or at least have heard of. For anyone who is active on social media, about two years ago, a picture of a group of women who were all sitting on a couch together started circulating and it eventually went viral. Now, in the photo, there were specifically eight women and only one of them were Black. The Black woman would be discovered dead the following morning. Her death was quickly ruled an accident, but there are many circumstances around it that many people question, especially her family. This case has faced so much scrutiny from how it was handled to the people involved in it, and many feel there is just much more behind it than meets the eye. It has prompted protests, a petition, and even celebrities have spoken about it on their own personal platforms. Today, I will be telling you about the mysterious death of Tamla Horsford. So just to start this episode off with some background information, Tamla Horsford was born on the lovely island of St. Vincent and Grenadines. She relocated to the Bronx, New York as a preteen, and by the time she reached her adult years, that's when she met her husband Leander in Florida. Leander had a daughter from a previous relationship prior to meeting Tamla, and she ended up growing very close to her. As their relationship progressed and they went on to tie the knot, they would eventually have five children with each other themselves, five boys to be exact. At some point, Leander was offered a new position for work, and the couple packed up their things and moved to Cummings, Georgia, which is in Forsyth County, about 40 miles outside of Atlanta. And Forsyth County does not really have a reputation for being the most diverse place. It also holds a history of kicking out the Black residents who were living there. In 1912, the county kicked out all 10% of their Black population because at the time, two Black men were accused of rape and assault on white women. So for over 70 years, this county remained as entirely white until 1990, which is not that long ago, when they got 14 Black residents. As of April 2020, so just last year, census reports Forsyth had only 4% of Black residents living there. So I just wanted to provide you guys with that quick information. And just going back to the case, all in all, Tamla was excited about the move along with the new opportunities for her family. On the night of November 3rd, 2018, 40-year-old Tamla prepared dinner for her family before she left her home to attend a woman named Jean's 45th birthday celebration. Tamla actually met Jean through a youth football league, so their sons played together. And just to be clear, they were not like the best of friends, but they were still in the stage of getting to know one another. In fact, Tamla and Jean had only met each other just a few months before this, 
And the first time Tamla really even hung out with her was just a week before this, when Jean had people over for pumpkin carving and Tamla and some of her children went. So essentially, like I said, they were just building a friendship at this point. But Tamla was happy to make these new relationships with people in this town. Everyone shared a love of football there, and they came together during these games that their children played. But Jean decided to have this adult sleepover and host it at her home so she didn't have to make any crazy plans. She anticipated everyone would be drinking, so whoever chose to could just crash at her place when their night came to an end. And before I go on, I just want to note that the information I am relaying here is coming from the interviews and reports from the witnesses that were there that night. So there were a total of 12 people, not including Tamla, that attended this slumber party, and they would later be deemed as the Forsyth 12. It was initially supposed to be a ladies' night, but two men ended up staying at the event. One of the men was Jean's 27-year-old boyfriend at the time, named Jose, and then there was also a guy named Thomas, who was the husband of one of the women who were there. So people began to show up to Jean's house on Woodlet Court at around 7 o'clock p.m. And Tamla arrived there sometime between 8 and 8.30. Jean recalls Tamla showing up with an imported bottle of tequila in her hand, and she was full of energy when she arrived. Initially, this bottle, Tamla intended on giving it to Jean for her birthday, but tequila wasn't really her thing. So she pretty much was like, Tamla, this is all you, like you can drink it. Tamla changed into this white onesie with gray paw prints on it for the evening. She took a shot of Fireball to start off her night and continued to drink the tequila she brought with her throughout her time there. Besides the celebration of Jean's birthday, the women were also excited to watch the LSU football game that was on. And while they stayed upstairs to watch this game, the two men, Jose and Tom, were downstairs in the theater watching a game as well. There are many videos and pictures from that night that have went around online, and in them, Tamla or Tam, as many of them referred to her, appeared to be enjoying herself and having a good time. Now, she did not know all the women that Jean invited, but Tamla was described by her loved ones as a people person and being the life of the party, so it's not surprising to anyone that she blended in and made herself comfortable. At one point during the evening, the men joined the ladies upstairs after grabbing some food. I believe Jose said this was around halftime of the game that they were watching, but in any case, this resulted in the guys staying upstairs. So Tamla checked in with her family, she spoke to her husband on the phone, and later on she even FaceTimed her stepdaughter, which all of the other guests of this party witnessed. Two of the women that were there called it a night pretty early, and it was reported that they left sometime around 11.30 p.m. to tend to their childcare conflicts. The group played the game Cards Against Humanity, and according to Jean, they played this for about an hour or so, and that's when the night began to wind down, in between 1 and 1.30 a.m. And in any case, you guys have not heard of Tamla's story, just so you have a better image, majority of these guests are middle-aged moms and dads, So them being tired early is not out of the norm. And as mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Tamla was the only Black person in attendance. 
But as the night seemed to be slowing down, Tamla was still social, full of energy, and it seems like she wanted the festivities to continue. She was just happy to be able to let loose and have a night off. I mean, she was a mom of five boys. However, many of the other attendees were ready to call it a night. Tamla was allegedly the only smoker that attended this celebration, and throughout the night, she would go outside for a cigarette. Jean says she referred to Tamla as the female Bob Marley because she also smoked marijuana, which she did that night. But according to her interview, Jean asked Tamla to refrain from doing this because her boyfriend, Jose, was a court officer at the time, and he didn't approve of it. As people began to fall asleep, Tamla was supposedly the last one to stay up. According to Jose, he can recall seeing her around the 1.30 a.m. time frame before him and John went to bed. Tamla told him that she was going to go outside and smoke another cigarette before she crashes. She also let him know that she'd either sleep on the sofa or in one of the bedrooms of John's kids. According to the police reports, one of the guests named Bridget left at 1.47 a.m. after she was picked up by her husband. Now, she recalls being the last person to see Tamla alive, and she says Tamla was the only person who was awake at this time. A few hours later, another woman named Marcy, who was a guest, was said to leave at 4.10 a.m. as she had to prepare for an early work shift. Just hours after that, at 7.45 a.m., another woman named Paula left, Then lastly, at 8.30 a.m., Tom and his wife left. So that's a total of four people that left in almost a four-hour time frame. Now, around 8.45 a.m., Jean's aunt Madeline, who lived in the basement of the home, woke up that morning to make her usual coffee. In her interview, Madeline says she looked out of the window, and that's when she noticed Tamla was laying face down on the ground in the backyard. She immediately knew it was Tamla because of the distinct onesie she was wearing. And in many of the sources I read, it says Madeline actually dropped to her knees to pray before she then ran upstairs to the top floor of the home to her niece's bedroom where Jean and Jose slept. According to her, she knocked for some time, but no one came to the door. And she thinks this was because she heard the shower running, so no one heard her knocking. Madeline then ran back downstairs to see if maybe Tamla had moved at this point. But when she went to look again, Tamla was laying in the same exact position. Once she realized Tamla had not moved, Madeline ran back upstairs. And this time, she kept knocking on Jean's bedroom door until someone opened up for her. Madeline wanted to speak with Jose specifically, which I personally didn't understand, but clearly Jean knew something was wrong as her aunt appeared to be in a panic. When Jean asked her what is going on, in her own words from her police interview, as she couldn't recall Tamla's name at the time, Madeline says she said, quote, your friend from the islands is in the backyard laying in the grass, end quote. Now, just to step aside from the story real quick, to refer to her like that was a little odd to me. I I personally don't believe that's what was really said, but I'll leave you guys as my listeners to form your own personal opinions. 
Also, like, Tamla was living in the U.S. since she was a preteen. So, yeah, come on. But Jose ran downstairs as Jean and Madeline followed. And when they were able to witness Tamla laying outside, not moving for themselves, they called 911. The call came in at 8.59 a.m. that morning. And I'm actually going to play some of it for you guys because many of the questions around Tamla's death immediately start from here. You are going to hear Jean and then Jose's voice on the call. And I just want to give you a heads up that you may hear silence throughout as some portions of the call are redacted. Forsyth County, 911. Hi, yes. Um, I, I need an ambulance and a place to my home. What's the address? 4450 Woodlake Court. 4450 Woodlake? Woodlet. Woodlet, okay. All right, 4450 Woodlet Court. What is your name? My name is John Myers, J-E-A-N-N-E. Okay, and your phone number is 609. Yes. Okay, what's going on? Um... We had people over last night when we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking, and we just went out outside, and she's laying face down in the backyard. It looks like me. I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay. Is she breathing? I, I don't. I don't know if she's face down. Okay. How, how old is she? At 41. Here, hold on. Hey, this is Jose Barrera. Hey, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? She's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. Um, okay. I just tried to assess her Tesla. She's completely face down in the yard. Um, she is stiff. Okay. Do you know if she, um, uh, do you see any blood or anything? Where she are you there? I am. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not, I was outside. It's okay. I'm not sure what happened to Alana for a second. Do you see any blood or anything to where, from where she fell? Um, I, I don't know if I should move her over. I mean, she's completely face down. Okay. I mean, can you just check and see if she's breathing? If, if she's not breathing and you, and you know she's gone, then just leave her where she's at. If she, okay. One minute. Uh, I'm completely not sure. Okay, and that's the only blood that you would see? That's what I can see without moving her over. I had okay. her face. Um, do you know if she, um, do you know if she was suicidal at all? I have no clue. I've met her one other time. Um, you know, like my girlfriend said, people were over last night. <clears throat> um, just, we were had, she was, her birthday party, we we're not the woman that we believe to be deceased, but my girlfriend's birthday party, instead of having everybody go out, she had everyone stay in. And she was the last one I saw before everybody, I mean, everybody was typically put off to bed. She was the last one in the kitchen. She was just either waiting around for a ride or waiting until the morning. 
Okay. How far is the um, where she would have fell from? How far is the deck from the ground? Um, I would probably say. Uh, maybe 20 feet. Okay. You know, 20 feet from where your feet would be on the railing. The railing itself is maybe three and a half, four feet. Okay. And what is her name? Uh, I know her name. We call her Tam. I'm assuming that's short for Tammy or Tamra. Was she there with anyone else? Uh, your name is Tam Horsford, H-O-R-S-F-O-R-D, so the black female. Um, I don't believe anybody was. Uh, my girlfriend has cameras here on the back deck that we can check. Okay. That I think would have caught the incident if she fell from here. Again, I, I, I don't know. How, it's, it's hard to say if she fell from from the deck or if she was already downstairs. She was the only Hold on one smoker second. here and I'm sorry. I'm gonna go out of my okay, I'm so sorry about that. So you think she's possibly right. out um, smoking? Yeah, she was she was the only smoker. I mean I'm I'm on the back deck right now and you know, cigarettes lighter I tried to finger out here. Um, okay. I'm just trying to see where on a roof my came from. Okay. All right. Um, have are all the people that were there last night? Are they still at your house? Uh, okay. Okay, there are four people that were here last night that are no longer here. Okay. And they just left this morning or they leave last night? Uh, do you know roughly what time each of them left? Like, they completely are not going to fit in. We can check. And she's got an alarm system that gives alerts when the doors are open on her phone. Okay. But I would, I think the last time that I personally saw Tam was probably about one in the morning before I'd gone upstairs to bed. Okay. And and at that point, she was the only one in the kitchen. I know. Okay. So just to point out a few things from this call, immediately one thing that stuck out to me was that off the rip, it was quickly said that maybe Tamla fell off of this balcony, which made it appear like they were giving a direction. Jean comes off the call with the operator, and then you hear Jose, who initially says, she's not moving, she's not breathing, she's face down and stiff. However, no one appeared to check Tamla's breathing at that point. But when the operator does ask Jose to check if she's breathing, the call goes silent, which I thought was weird. Now, you guys heard portions of the call in the beginning that got redacted as that was personal phone numbers that was being said, but I really can't understand why this part went silent. 
I also question what was said here because when the operator returns, she asks if Tamla was suicidal. But this is only speculation on my end. Obviously, it could be a reach. Um, something could have happened on the line or maybe another portion was just redacted. So that still remains a mystery. I just feel that it is worth questioning. Jose also mentioned security cameras that would have caught the whole incident to the 911 operator. And I will explain that later on, but you guys heard him say that they could check them. Lastly, you can never determine how a person is going to react to any traumatic experience, but the couple at the time appeared to be quite calm, which is one of the biggest speculations that many people have about this case. When the Forsyth County officers arrived, for one, one of the responding officers wrote in the incident report that he was already familiar with Jose as he was a part of law enforcement. But upon arrival, the officers immediately knew Tamla was dead, which they then prompted fire and EMS to not even come to the scene. As mentioned, Tamla was found face down, her right arm was on her side, and her left arm was sort of out of place, bent at the elbow, about 40 degrees from her body, which authorities figured she tried to use to help break her fall. And I mean, this is the story that they were being told, so it already came across that this is what they were going with, that this was an accident. Now, they couldn't tell at the time, but Tamla's left arm appeared to be dislocated or fractured at a glance. The deck was also measured when officers arrived, and it was a little over 14 feet from the top of the rail to the ground. Tamla's body was taken and transferred to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation for further examination by a coroner. The officers began to speak with the other party goers who were in the house, and they even asked the ones who left to return so they could be interviewed as well. Authorities were notified of Tambla's large amount of alcohol consumption, as well as her marijuana usage as they started conducting their interviews. The bottle of tequila that was brought by Tamla did not have much alcohol left, but according to many of the witnesses that were there that night, she did not appear to be overly intoxicated. Although she drank quite a bit, Tamla never gave anyone the indication that she was belligerent or, like, uncontrollable. She seemed perfectly fine. And Tamla's sister later came out and said that she had never seen her sloppy drunk before, and she knew Tamla wouldn't pick a time to be with people that she barely knew to do it. So Jean's house had a security system, which was linked to her phone. So it would know every time a particular door opens and closes in her home, and this was secured with a timestamp. The woman, Bridget, who I mentioned left at 1.47 a.m., was the last person to see Tamla alive downstairs, according to the police reports. Her leaving was recorded by the security system, and this would have been through the front door. Then, two minutes later, the back door leading to the back porch, where this whole thing took place, opened at 1.49 a.m., closing right after at 1.50. That same door opened again at 1.57 a.m., which is presumed to be Tamla going out for her last smoke. But the door is never shown closing after that. Jean says the door was slightly open when she went out there hours later to discover Tamla. 
The Forsyth County officers reached out to Leander, Tamla's husband, to let him know of the devastating news. They also spoke with Tamla's father, Kurt, the following day as he was trying to find out more information about what happened to his daughter. Tamla's family was pretty much under the impression that she died as a result of a terrible accident. Kurt quickly grew suspicious and felt this whole thing just did not make any sense. Officers explained to him that they would notify him of any developments that came about in regards to his daughter's case as they waited for results from the autopsy, which could give them a better explanation. But when the autopsy report came back just a few months after the incident, this would only prompt more questions about how Tamala died. Tamla's cause of death was reported as multiple blunt force injuries. She suffered from head and torso trauma. Tamla had a broken neck, lacerations to her legs, wrists, and her heart. She also had abrasions to her legs, fingers, and it was confirmed that her left wrist was in fact dislocated. None of her facial bones were broken. Tamla's toxicology report showed that her blood alcohol content was at 0.238, which was almost three times the limit to drive in Georgia. She also tested positive for contents of THC and Xanax in her system. In February of 2019, the medical examiner's office officially ruled Tamla's manner of death as an accident, saying it was consistent with the fall. In a statement released by the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office, they say they've conducted over 30 interviews and spent 300 hours working on this investigation, which they've now officially closed. After this case was closed, it immediately began to spark up a lot of scrutiny. Tamla's family is in disbelief that she died as a result of a bad accident. According to an article from WSB-TV Atlanta, Shortly after the Emmy's ruling, they even hired their own private medical examiner who found extensive injuries to her body. Her father, Kurt, states that the person they hired found injuries which they believe Tamla was already dead before she was outside. One of Tamla's good friends, Michelle, was someone who has been very vocal about this whole investigation, and she remains adamant that the people who were in that home that night know exactly what happened to Tamla. If someone is falling from a balcony or falling from anything, you would think that they would try to automatically shield their face or as a quick instinct, maybe turn their head from the surface they're about to land on. I mean, Tamla was said to have been completely face down when she was discovered and nothing on her face was reported to be broken, according to the medical examiner's autopsy. Not saying this is impossible, but the position she was discovered in doesn't really give the impression that it was consistent with a fall. Her nose, mouth, teeth, nothing facial was touched. The cameras that Jose referred to on the 911 call, which would have caught this whole thing on tape, which would have cleared this whole thing up, well, it appears that the batteries in them were either dead or low. Therefore, they were not recording the morning of November 4th. In the case file, Jean actually sent officers an email that she received from her security service 
notifying her of her battery being low in August, so just two months before Tamla's death. There's really not too much mention about this, which is so crazy to me, but it seems nothing was captured or could be recorded because of that reason. Because of the history in Forsyth County, many question that this case may have been racially motivated. How does the one Black guest at an adult sleepover turn up dead and no one knows what happened to her? If the circumstances in this case were flipped and we were talking about a white mom in her 40s who lived in a predominantly Black neighborhood and attended a slumber party of all Black guests, would the treatment have been the same? Several people left after Tamla would have fell off of this balcony and no one saw anything. Matter of fact, no one even heard anything. We also have to consider the fact that Jose was a court officer at the time. Him being hesitant about even checking if Tamla was breathing is not something I personally feel goes with a member of law enforcement. And per the incident report, it is clear that one of the responding officers were already familiar with Jose from the get-go, which makes people wonder, could this have been a cover-up or is this a conflict of interest? And this leads me to my next point. On December 20th, 2018, so in the midst of this whole investigation, just a month after Tamla had this accident, Jose was terminated from his role as an officer with the Forsyth County Courts. It was determined that he allegedly used his position at the time to illegally access police files in regards to Tamla's death. It is speculated that he also leaked personal information of Tamla's friend, Michelle, as well. And I mean, like, before this, the people who were in attendance at Jean's house that night were not happy with how this investigation went public, and many of them were even sent death threats, which is still not right and not condoned. But clearly, this situation with Jose is not a coincidence. If it is true, it appears he wanted to find something out. I mean, he risked his job to access information and spread information about a case he was a witness for, it only makes suspicions of him by others grow further. Overall, there is just suspicions around this case, period, if you ask me. So many things are just odd. The 911 call was odd. And no judgment here at all, but I learned that Madeline, Jean's aunt, also smoked marijuana which wouldn't have made Tamla the only smoker there, like many of the witnesses have been stressing. I've read that Jean tried to give officers a gift card for their investigation work, like just many odd things that would make people question it. This case has made a lot of noise on social media, with many people using hashtags such as Justice for Tamla Horsford, As I mentioned in the intro of this episode, even celebrities began to speak up about their concerns in regards to this investigation. A petition was created calling for the reopening of an investigation into Tamla's death, which held over thousands of signatures. In June of 2020, the Horsefords family attorney, Ralph Fernandez, wrote a letter to Tamla's husband, Leander. He stressed that their fight is not over 
and that there are multiple findings that prove Tamla's death could have been a homicide. From an article from the Forsyth County News, a portion of his letter stated, his office found conflicting witness statements, a tampered crime scene, mishandled evidence, and, quote, unheard of absence of autopsy photos, also indicating Tamla's injuries were consistent with the struggle. Attorney Fernandez spoke about the fact that there was no video to show for what really happened the morning of November 4th. He actually uses an example of the Ahmad Arbery murder, saying that basically, if video was never captured there, the perpetrators probably would have never been caught or investigated properly. And this is so true because time and time again, we've seen videos be recorded of murders of Black men and women across this country. And had it not had been for the proof of those videos, who's to say what really would have happened? Shortly after this letter was sent to Tamla's husband, and in the midst of this petition, the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, and many people just being vocal about this case on social media, the sheriff of Forsyth County at the time released a letter to the GBI asking them to reopen the case into the death of Tamla Horsford, which they did in June of 2020. So the controversy that this investigation has received seemed to get the attention it needed. However, after a month, the GBI concluded that they found no findings of foul play and that there was no evidence to bring criminal charges, which meant Tamla's manner of death stood as an accident. Attorney Fernandez and Tamla's loved ones stand by their idea that someone in that house knows what happened to Tamla that morning, and they continue to fight for answers. Tamla's youngest son was just four when she died. If foul play or any type of cover-up was involved here, her family deserves justice. There has been a petition created calling for the FBI to reinvestigate Tamla Horsford's case. It currently has over 700,000 signatures. I will put that link in the description of this episode in case any of my listeners would like to sign. 